30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is a ritual. Everything leads to something. It's a blatant truism, which at first glance seems to offer nothing more than the incredibly obvious statement that, yes, no shit, Sherlock, things lead to other things. Yet, it's still a treasured mantra of mine, one that I return to often when thinking about how so-called big moments don't deliver the fame and fortune you might expect, but still inevitably lead to something interesting. Last year, the New York Times wrote an article about my wizardry. It was a full-page story with color photos and everything, talking about how I became a wizard and the various magical services I offer. You might think an article like that would be a huge break, and my inbox would have exploded overnight with curious seekers looking to learn more about wizardry. And while it was a huge honor, without a doubt, there was no flood of incoming inquiries. No big shot producers flying me out to Hollywood to ink an exclusive deal with Netflix, and no tidal wave of new clients overwhelming my calendar. But I did get an Instagram message. Clint Marsh, the proprietor of a gorgeous occult zine published in the Bay Area called Fiddler's Green Peculiar Parish Magazine, reached out and said he saw the article and really resonated with what I was doing. I looked through his account and was blown away by the art and articles Fiddler's Green was putting out. Beautifully designed zines with a smart yet sly take on occult topics. Pamphlets with titles like Our Bogies, Our Shelves, The Magician's Library as Mentor, Companion, and Oracle. We discussed doing a trade, since I had a few copies of my own magical artifact book lying around, and I was really keen to get one of Clint's recently printed Wandering Wizards Welcome t-shirts. But then, being the scatterbrained slacker wizard that I am, I got distracted by life, and the thread was left dangling, an open seam of possibility that sat untapped until this winter, when I found myself planning a trip to the Bay Area and reached out to Clint to see if he might like to record a podcast and complete our long-delayed trade. Thus, in early March, we sat down to record this episode. As Clint put it when we spoke last week, it was so early on in COVID that instead of shaking your hand, I gave you a hug. We met on a wet Berkeley morning at the Castle in the Air art studio and enjoyed a delightful conversation about the magic of books and books on magic. But by the time I got back to New York and was sitting down to edit the episode, the pandemic had exploded and releasing an episode that didn't even mention it felt off. So much like a magical book, this conversation sat on the shelf while I spent several months trying to make sense of this paradigm-shifting pandemic that's been ravaging our reality. But now? While the pandemic is still raging, and y'all better be wearing masks in public places, now feels like a good time to take a break from that never-ending COVID conversation. 
it feels like the right moment to return briefly to a simpler time. A wet March morning when a wandering wizard was welcomed in by an occult publisher to enjoy a cup of tea and talk about the magic of zines. Because that's the real magic, I believe. Not the fame and fortune forever dangled in the distance, but the friendships forged through chance connections and the cozy stops along our meandering paths that remind us everything leads to something. Welcome, Clint. Thank you. What's our magic word going to be? Becoming. Ooh, I like this. All right. You ready on the count of three? One, two, three. Becoming. Becoming. Why'd you pick becoming? I was thinking about the magic word yesterday, and for a while I was going with hocus pocus. Ooh, that's also a good one. Because uh, it's a magic word, Mm -hmm. but it's also a word that people might associate more with stage magic. Yeah. And I thought, well, what's Hocus Pocus about? And I realized that's what the magician, stage magician in this case, is going to say before they produce something. Mm-hmm. A rabbit from a hat or flowers from the end of the wand. And I thought, well, that's that's something becoming. And then I realized that's really what magic is about. It's mm-hmm. what a lot of life is about, but that's what magic is about. And I looked up Hocus Pocus online and there's all kinds of great lore behind I that. was just wondering about like the, the etymology of that because someone was just sharing the etymology of mumbo jumbo okay which was came from like mom I'm, I'm gonna get, get it wrong but it was like mambo jumbo or something like like uh like was like uh, a deity that the okay enslaved people that were brought over were worshiping oh, wow. and the plantation older owners misheard it and made mm. fun of it and it became wow. mumbo jumbo right and we all yeah. say oh that's just mumbo, mumbo jumbo. jumbo so it's yeah. really dismissive and then yeah and people say that about hocus pocus too yeah i i actually heard there was some kind of a type of weed you could you could get it it's it's from your dealer and he says it's just hocus pocus <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of dismissive too yeah but uh yeah i saw uh i saw a lot written about that uh, word or the the pair of words it's fun to say. Yeah, it uh, it could be dismissive. Mm-hmm. It could be the name of some old magician or god. Yeah. and uh, but it's all about something's about to happen. Right. So I thought, well, let's be more general. Let's say becoming. Yeah, there is. Um, I I can't remember how to pronounce his name. Ilya Progene. I'm I'm getting it wrong, but um, he wrote I think from being to becoming, and it's um like a, a physics book that came out in the seventies, mm-hmm. but his whole thing was there really is no being right. Nothing, nothing, you know, even something that you think of as like a static object, like a chair, a chair is becoming a broken chair, yeah. uh, rusted, forgotten, yeah. disintegrated chair, yeah. like nothing, you know, being is this illusory snapshot that we're taking. Everything is becoming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you feel you have to otherwise. Yeah. Otherwise, you'd just be magic all the time. And what would that be like? Right. Yeah. Become here now. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of becoming, how did you become interested in the world of of magic and writing? Mm. Thanks. Um, It's a lifelong interest, uh, or at least since I was about six. Okay. And um, my family was moving house. And we moved into a new house that was kind of outside of town. Mm -hmm. And uh, this was in the Midwest and kind of outside of town in the woods a bit older house. And 
we moved in. My parents have told me we moved in maybe a little bit earlier than the previous owner wanted us to. So mm. she had ended up leaving a lot of her stuff there in the house. And um, one possession that she had was this occult library. Whoa. It was in the house yeah. on the shelf when we came in. Her husband apparently had passed away, but in his later years had turned to magic and the occult as a way to uh, to deal with this illness that he had. And so she didn't have anything to do with want anything to do with it and, okay. and left the books. I was just learning how to read. Yeah. These books had some amazing pictures in them. And so I'm picking up the Egyptian Book of the Dead, alchemy books, conjuration books, and so forth, all at that perfect age when anything can happen. I know this is like the prologue of a movie where like this is all what happens like before the credits roll and then we yeah, cut to you as right, like yeah. a powerful magician walking down the street. Yeah. Now I'm just some dude. But it it was it, it was that young. It was that early. And my parents saw my interest in this and they didn't really know what to make of it. This would have been yeah. early eighties, which was prime time for satanic panic and yeah. all that. And so the books just kind of disappeared. I was able to hang on to one or two of them. And uh, that just made me hungrier. Right. And so I became obsessed. And then as a teenager, I uh, got into Wicca Mm -hmm. and other forms of witchcraft, tried those out, and then uh, went on to college and refound a lot of those books yeah. that had gone and I said no I'm just going to now go into book publishing and start publishing these books myself so my life's work is to repopulate that bookshelf yeah so I'm working on it that's amazing it's like <laughs> I, when you're like talking about go, like walk, you know moving into the new house and it's like I'm imagining a book like oh there's this one thing that's up behind and you're like no there's a it's library a book, so, yeah. yeah it was good wow that's fascinating. <laughs> so then uh, when did you start? So publishing these books, how did that begin for you? Uh, as zines. As zines. Okay. And uh, so then skip forward 10 years, early 90s. Yeah. Zines is a big thing. DIY is a big thing. There's a punk resurgence at the time. Riot mm. Girl is happening. Yep. I had joined the school band in the meantime in percussion. And so yeah. I got a drum set and friends and we're a garage band now. And so I had heard that you could, uh, you could make a zine and tell people about your band and we were making our tapes and stuff. So I said, let's just make a zine, Mm -hmm. uh, and promote each other, interview each other and take it from there. And so that started, I did that monthly for a couple of years. What was your first scene? It was called Real Life Number One. Real Life Number One. Yeah. All right. And uh, and so it was uh, July '93, mm-hmm. and uh, I'd just gotten out of high school, and so I I thought now real life begins because that's what you say in high school, like yeah. what when in my real life I'm going to do this, right? And so I did that for a couple of years, and then uh, that series faded away, and then I started to do other zine series uh, that now so many years later has culminated in my current one fiddler's green fiddler's green yeah. yeah so then let's walk so was there a move like a movement from real life to the occult like did was it punk and then it kind of slowly just like transitioned or was there a 
real life ended and then the next series took off and was more occult. Right. Did real life end and then it was magic. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was a, a kind of a fade in, I guess you could say. And I, I've hoped to I've tried to keep some of the the old punk aesthetics and and mindset around still yeah. like the flexies that we're doing now is part of that. But uh, yes, I was constantly talking to myself i think even during those early days of how can i talk about witchcraft how can i talk about magic and ancestors mm -hmm. and ghosts and things in my publishing i don't know how yeah. it was easier for me to talk about music and it was easier for me to talk about creativity and books and things like that but i just couldn't figure it out but but slowly but surely i did get there and the early early years were um I would say a little rough, but it was fun at the same time. I was reading some English wit at the time. So I was reading P.G. Woodhouse, I was yeah. reading, reading uh, One Upsmanship by Stephen Potter. And I thought, oh, this is fun. I'm going to take this kind of figure of the British aristocrat and I'm going to take it and add on Second Sight, which is mm -hmm. the sixth sense of mm -hmm. the Scottish Highlands. And, uh, and we're going to see what happens when you mix those together well what happens is you have this paranoid estate owner who has brownies and goblins everywhere and doesn't know what to do with them yeah and uh but has all the means at his disposal to try to get rid of them so what happens and so i, I started a new zine series that was about this guy reginald bakley mm -hmm. and uh did that for about a year and that spun off into uh these pamphlets which i still produce today called on gnoming which mm -hmm. is about going out and hunting the gnomes and uh and eating them which people don't find that uh that popular of an idea uh, and it's got, a little distasteful and it tastes like squirrel actually yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the goblin proving one's chicken coop and then that title went on to become a collection of these these reginald writings yeah and i did that and, and the book eventually came out and and I um, so this was, was sort of like narrative zines for a while. Yeah, yeah, and and fun, and obviously tongue in cheek, and yeah. all that. And there was magic in them, but I wasn't being honest with myself, mm -hmm. you know. And and I wasn't being honest with the readers. I was having fun, but I could only go so far with this because one, I'm not British. One, two, I'm not rich, you yeah. know. And and so I wanted to do something more pure or closer to the truth with that and and so my next series uh was called the camella part and it started off with this uh zine called the nature of ether and this was about this concept of ether as this magical force that's all around you and you can tap into it mm -hmm. and this is a concept that has been explored in in fiction and nonfiction and occult forever and i thought well i'm going to take my own put my own spin on it and I'm going to uh, come up with a zine series like this. And so we did that series. I did that series with a friend of mine, uh, Jeff Hoke, in Monterey as the illustrator. And we put out uh, six issues of that, which was eventually collected as a book called The Mentalist's Handbook. And it was all about tapping into this. It was still tongue-in-cheek, I felt, mm -hmm. because I was still writing in this affected style. And even though the exercises were valid and would work for anyone who tried them it was still removed from the subject and i so i still had that feeling like this is not sincere 
and I wanted to do something sincere with it. Yeah. And so about five years ago, I realized I, I, I'm ready. I can yeah. do that. I mean, it takes forever to get to these points, man. You know, time it takes time to ripen. It takes time to become. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it was becoming, and uh, and that's when I realized I can tell some of my own stories in my own way, and maybe other people want to tell their stories too. Yeah, and we can make it really beautiful. We can make it really celebratory. I had been working in book publishing then for about 20 years at that point. So let's take a lot of book elements yeah. and book publishing elements, put them on the zine, mix it up and put it out there into the world. And also just remember that it's zines are DIY zines are about the people zines are about connection and communication. So keep that in there too. And that all came together. Fiddler's green peculiar parish magazine was yeah. born. I want to get. I want to talk about Fillers Green a little bit more in a minute, but I think it's so interesting what you were saying about your first attempt to discuss this thing that was very personal. You had to have these layers of you're you're not rich, you're not British, and so that allowed you to create this distance. But then, of course, those are the parts that fell away the most quickly. And then you're like, all right, I'll continue to talk about magic, but I'll retain a little bit of this this distance mm. and then you just get closer and closer and at the same time are developing your craft. Right. And I think that's, um, there's a certain timing of things and it, it can lead to procrastination if you're, you know, too lackadaisical about it. But there's other things that I really do think they just need to take time to ripen that mm -hmm. there's certain books that you read at one point in your life and you get a few pages in and you're like, I can't read this thing. And you read it six years later and you're like, what was I thinking? This book is amazing, <laughs> but it just takes time for it to sort of yeah. meet you where you are. Yeah. And so I'm glad that you were able to have a fun meandering path, keep going over the hills until you found Fiddler's <laughs> Green. Well, over the hill is actually a good phrase to go <laughs> on with because I look, I published the first issue on my 40th birthday. Oh, awesome. And I realized this is a middle-aged man's scene. Yeah. Now, people of any age can buy it and read it and enjoy it. But <laughs> for yeah. me to publish it, I realized I had to have had some life experience in order to write about this. Because a lot of the stories are about um, anxiety mm -hmm. or issues that come up in life. It can happen at any age. But by the time you're in your 40s, then you have had enough experience. You realize, okay, I know who I am enough to work with these even if it's hard yeah no absolutely the the 19 year old's guide to to magic is going to be very different and um yeah not quite have the same experience uh informing the the spellcraft yeah i i assume yeah <laughs> um how did your own magical practice develop in in tandem what were you being inspired by what were you exploring and practicing uh i've always been interested in the publishing history of things mm -hmm. and in working with the different texts and so forth. And so I was reading literature and then looking for the magic in that. Mm -hmm. And I would also read magical system books and I would be interested in those, but it's always been at least half and half yeah. on the, uh, on the literature uh, alongside occult tradition publishing and so my practice grew up in a similar way where I'm just looking at the world through this lens. You know, for a while I was studying Steiner's work. I realized I didn't want to be an anthroposophist. I think yeah. it's a beautiful system, but it wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been invited to join other groups or try other things. And I've always 
can't join, man. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to be constant seeker, constant student. Um, and so that's what I write about in Fiddler's Green is how to see life this way. And mm-hmm. I, to me, I think that that's, that's the way that's going to, it's going to resonate with the most people, Yeah, you know, and people can take that or leave it. But I know in your own work, you, you've found that you have to reach out to people who are going to be a little skeptical like I was yeah. to begin with. And, and so I'm hoping that I can help people in that way. Well, I think there's, um, um I forget Tom Campbell, who is a, like a former NASA guy that writes about his like theory of consciousness in the universe. But, um, he starts a lot of his lectures with the same thing about saying, I need you to be both open-minded and skeptical. Yeah. If you're not open-minded, there's no point in you being here because you're not going to listen to anything that I have to say. And you're just going to walk away with the same mindset that you had when you came in here. So you've just wasted your time, but I need you to be skeptical because if you just take everything in and you don't check it against your own experience, then that's also meaningless. And I think we've probably all met the person who has such low skepticism that it's like everything is this breathless, like, wow, yeah, you know, and like that, you know, those people are lovely, but it's, it's a different attitude. And I think you, you feel a more authentic connection when you're able to talk to someone where you have that open mindedness and skepticism and you're playing back and forth and you're both testing ideas as you um, experience them, create them, try them. Right. Uh, what, when you said literature, so what uh, what sort of literature were you finding the the magic within? Just in anything. Yeah. Okay. I was thinking yesterday, what do they ask writers? They ask, like, who are your favorite authors? I don't know, man. Yeah. yeah. I know. That's <laughs> always the hard... sponge. I yeah. just sponge it all up. Yeah. My library is just this mound of a room. Well, I think, I mean, I think that's one of the things that, you know, with my wizardry, I try and always look at, like, the pop culture mythology that we're embedded mm-hmm. in and there's so much of the collective unconscious if you want to use the Jungian term but like there's so much of this that just comes in through all the creative works and we always have like in movies we always have the same villains of the evil general that just wants to nuke the thing before anyone has a chance to talk to it the corporation that's gonna shut down the community center so they can build a condo like these tropes yeah we all have these tropes that are kind of reflecting where we're at and literature of different times and i think yeah it's an interesting way to see how people viewed the world which is ultimately what magic comes down to what what was happening for me over the years really was less reading books and more reading other people's zines Ah. and so when was it maybe around 2000 Mm -hmm. 20 years ago now i got into uh, anarchism publishing Mm. and who are the leaders in that field if you want to say the leader in yeah. the anarchism anarchistic leaders and followers but the uh the magazines that i found at the time were uh the match was a really good one at the time uh there's one out of britain called the cunningham amendment there's one out of arizona called communicating vessels and i looked at these zines and they're beautifully done letterpress and small offset print jobs and beautiful works and i realized this is about free thinking yeah and that's what magic that's what i want magic to be about too that's part of the not joining any Mm -hmm. groups is to try to be your own person yeah and so i was really inspired by that there's a lot of uh 
I'll say that there you don't find a lot of spirituality in the anarchism movement. Mm-hmm. When you do find it, I find it really beautiful. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that that's great because that means that you can expand anarchism to include your soul, mm-hmm. to include your spirit and your eternity. And I get tired of, of thinking about life as a finite thing because mm-hmm. I really want to see a magic that goes outward and maybe we will too. Transcends. Transcends. And that's that's how I titled the magazine too yeah. because Fiddler's Green is this old legend of an afterlife. Right. I, no, I think that's beautiful. And I think, um, you know, a writer like Ursula Le Guin comes to mind where her anarchism and her like sort of Taoism are both very present and very compatible, yet she's not just writing a treatise on either of those. She's mm-hmm. writing a yeah. fiction story that has those elements weaving around right. and helps you... Um, really see a different world again i think magic and anarchism it's a really great connection that you just made there because they're both to me about what are the rules of the game that we're currently playing right and like did we agree to these rules and like are these which of these rules are immutable and inescapable and which of these rules are just very entrenched and if we work hard enough, we can teach ourselves to see the world in a different way, in a way that sparkles and has a little bit more possibility and joy. Sure, sure. Yeah, and and who is this who's bossing it around anyway? Yeah. So it's been good. So how has Fiddler's Green been becoming? It's been becoming and becoming and becoming. Yeah. <laughs> it's been really wonderful to get the response from folks and to grow our first issues had 500 copies which sold out pretty fast and now we're five times that much wow we've included a record in the last few issues that's a been green really record. fun yeah. green record we did green record then did clear record now we've got a red record on this one uh made our first t-shirt which yeah. is the wandering wizards welcome i know i'm, I'm excited to wear it <laughs> and it just grows and grows and i feel gratitude for that every day and i'm just in awe of the people who've come out and gotten in touch and that's how you and i met is just through this community and underground magical situation that we're in exactly and i think i think there's a moment right now where we've gone really far with social media and being all online and in this kind of um chatter sphere and people are starting to pull back a little bit and realize you know sitting at home and reading a zine by myself is actually a lot nicer of an experience than just endlessly (laughs) surfing uh, articles on the internet and um, finding a way to then come together with those people and connect, I think has become more and more a dominant theme of this podcast and my magic of like, how do you, how do you get these people that are interested in being in the same room together, together? And if not in the same room, how do we share space over a digital medium like the podcast where, you and I are sitting in one space having a conversation, but the conversation is echoing through whoever's car or headphones or kitchen uh, has happened to tune it in. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. Welcome, everybody. <laughs> Hi. Yeah, about a year ago, two years ago now, uh, I had a family trip planned to Scotland and I looked at my recent orders and I realized. I have enough people in Edinburgh that we could have like a pub night there and we did. And it was just so great. A lot of other zinesters, people came out. We all just got together and spent the evening 
comparing our stuff and reading and swapping and and talking and yeah you can use this medium which used mm-hmm. to be photocopies and postage stamps and still is yeah but, but you can use this medium of social media to reach the people and that's what's been fun about fiddler's green is that i came to being really comfortable in my own publishing at the same time i think that i was able to use the tools mm-hmm. to get out to see everybody yeah i i, I think that's really special of those experiences where it's not like the only level of success is when you're going on the world tour and living in the, the oh, tour no. bus and yeah. you know that sort of thing. But when you're like, oh, I'm going to a place and this is a, a means for me to connect with people who I wouldn't otherwise know. And then those people will be like, oh, we're going to take you to this pub, not the one to the left of it and not the one to the yeah. right of it. And you're like, those are all identical to me. And they're like, no, but the one in the middle <laughs> is so special. And then you yeah. go in there and you're like, this place is amazing. Yeah. And I think that is a really fun experience too. So yeah, And then you have new friends. And then you have new friends. I know. And we're sitting here in this, yeah. in this experience of it. It's, it's, <laughs> it's all so meta. Um, so what is the, tell us about the latest issue of Fiddler's Green. Latest issue. Uh, we have got, I should get a copy in front of me so I get everybody's name here. What we got here. I uh, write about a few things myself in here, but but we mainly are focused on some other folks. We're talking about grimoires with Daniel Yates, mm-hmm. and uh, we're talking about witchcraft after man, witchcraft after the fall of humankind with Ooh. Melissa Madara of Catland, mm-hmm. and uh, we're talking about theogony in a non-racist way. What is theogony? Trace your ancestors back to Zeus. Trace your ancestors back to any of the gods or goddesses back there. And uh, people are doing this now and they're and they're all coming from these these gods and then half the time they're saying and that's why your color skin is bad. And no. Ooh. It's wrong. So I, I I wrote to my friend Craig Conley. I said, "Man, you're a thoughtful magician. Yeah. Can you write me a piece on theogony that's not racist?" And within a few hours, he had sent it back to me with an illustration. Oh, that's great! And yeah, he's incredible. Craig's awesome. Uh, we have Samuel McCabe of Colorado writing about William Blake uh-huh. and uh, the fallen angels, the Watchers, who yeah. came down to Earth. We've got a story called Releasing Wood Spirits by a wood carver named Susan Alexander. And she talks about how each piece of wood that she works with has a spirit inside and her carving is bringing it out. Uh, Kelsey Yandura talks about the heroine's journey. This is from Joseph Campbell's mm-hmm. Hero's Journey. We've got fiction from Ellen Heron. And uh, we've got a wrap-up piece, Utopia and Its Discontents from Nowhere to Nightmare by Apio Ludd also known as Wolfie Landstriker, yeah. uh, big name in the DIY and anarchism movement. And uh, we wrap it up with a song uh, by Anton Barbeau. And each of those pieces is illustrated by incredible illustrators. I just want to say It's such names. a beautiful magazine, yeah. Uh, Benjamin Beerling, Drowned Orange, Moritz Krebs, Jeff Hoke, Alexis Berger. And I'm just really happy. If I missed anybody, I'm sorry. So I think it's really interesting because we've talked about, you know, the connection with punk rock and as a teenager finding punk rock, the compilations were so helpful, like getting a compilation album and being like, all right, this one song is great. Next time I'm at the CD store and I've got my $15 to buy one album, let's let's dive into that. And so it's nice to have these resources where it can kind of serve as um, a signpost and show you, Mm. oh, you liked this. Go check out that person's work. 
and then also I think is creating these connections within the community that um, you know are drawing lines around like people coming together and finding these different avenues and portals which creates a stronger scene it creates a stronger network and community yeah yeah now to be fair i found a lot of these people during my endless scrolling through instagram (laughs) oh of course well i mean i think that's the thing is like you know the goal is to sort of be the healthy cyborg rather than the automaton like we're all digitally augmented in one way we're literally talking into robot penis microphones right now (laughs) uh but i think it's a difference between letting the tech control you and dominate you and get you to do what it wants versus um, being the one who's using it to further your own your own human ends. Yeah, yeah. I I grew up in a remote place, mm-hmm. more or less small town America, and so I was really really chuffed to use a British word to get to college and see the library or to get to college right around the time the web was coming online. Yeah. Everybody's getting there, and then. I said, no, now we can take off. Now we can start to reach more people and and make friends and find people who are sharing our interests or challenge our interests, what have you. Mm -hmm. But I've kept it up. And and yeah, uh, social media has been great for that. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, the, you know, the occult trending is, is divisive in some ways because there's the people who want to protect the scene and keep it safe from the interlopers and posers. But at the same time, I think it, it feels like there's a burgeoning awareness that a lot of people are taking part in and it's, yeah. it's greater than any of us. I don't think anyone can see the whole picture cause we're all just little pixels, but it's cool to start to see um, it spread and grow in different ways and then create more places to perch because yeah. I think for the longest time, like there was kind of one vibe at the occult bookstore and maybe you resonate with some of the titles and not the others, but now there's just this whole spectrum and it's easier to find, um, the stuff where you feel at home and you feel like it's speaking to you in the the way that resonates. One would hope. Yeah. 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 So let's talk about spells and uh, for the, for the listeners listening in, uh, how can they bring some of this magic into their own reality? Hmm. I, I like this idea of becoming, and I like this idea of becoming the person who you know you can be. Yeah. And that's very inspirational speak but i'm it can take a long time yeah and so maybe there's a way for people to take that first step or to try something i got an idea i i really liked what we talked about with reginald earlier where there was kind of these this this cocktail recipe of like two parts not you to one part oh yeah yeah you and so maybe everyone can you know, this could be a paragraph, like you don't have to go too crazy about it, but sketch out an alter ego of mm. take something that is very deep and personal to you, you know, your sort of secret dream of whatever that might be, magical or otherwise, and then two things that are not you, but you find interesting and oh, yeah. create a composite character that could be the uh, training wheels to, to help nurture this. That's good. Yeah. 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 I, I like this idea where you can then have that persona and it's it's safe for the time because you know that it's not all you but you can try it out and then if you like it then you can step into that more fully yeah so and you don't have to publish your paragraph yeah might be better if you don't just keep it to yourself or play with it you know yeah. i think like um an ex told me once who was very into vintage fashion that 
it helps to come up with a character and then try and dress the character rather than right. just always worrying about like, is this my style or is this not my style? Yeah. And they were into very, very vintage fashion. So they have this whole narrative of like, like early talky film, like the, the, the woman who's working at the office, but like has this sass and blah, 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 like 1920s style, like boom, like yep. here it is. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think if you have that alter ego in your mind, it can become a very cool vehicle for becoming where you're like, all right, I might not be willing to go do this tonight, but like, what would Slade Gemstone do? Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the as if technique. And yeah. that's an old, old magical technique mm-hmm. uh, for people to say, I am going to start living as if my dream is already true. Yeah. And maybe my dream plus two parts that are a little bit not my dream. Yeah. Mixed right. In for flavor right. And color. Yeah. Just to see how it is. I love it. Awesome. Thank you, Clint. Thank you very much. For more of Clint's work and to see Fiddler's Green for yourself, visit fiddlersgreenzine.com where you can pick up many of the beautiful issues that we were discussing in this episode, as well as the Wandering Wizards Welcome t-shirt, which I believe has been recently re-released, depending on where in time you're listening to this. Maybe now it's a collector's artifact that you can only find at the post-apocalyptic trading depot. Who knows? So whether you're wandering a future ravaged wasteland, or you're still just nervously waiting out the rest of the crazy year that is 2020, I want you to know that our magic is linked through the power of this podcast, that everything leads to something, and I can't wait until that brighter day when our paths cross again. Until next time, I believe in you. Your magic is real.